2: See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation.
3: it's film study Uh, we're gonna take a look at this Marcus Peters trade I told you all that we would have a special episode when Jalen Ramsey got traded so here it is so Ken McKusick, how you doing
4: life's good Josh how about you
3: I'm doing uh, well the Nats are in the World Series so outside of that I'm doing well you know what I uh, I do have a question as far as the Nats and our listeners Because the biggest pet peeve to me is Raven fans that are also Nat fans. So I want to know if there's any that are actually out there. Because it seems to me like you're jumping on bandwagons if you're a Ravens fan and a Nats fan. Redskins-Orioles, I understand, because those are long-time teams. You grew up together. But I don't know any Raven fans that are also Nat fans. And I think that's a good thing.
4: It is an odd combination. I know there's a lot of Caps Ravens fans. And that, and again,
3: market. that makes sense because Baltimore doesn't have a hockey team. But as mm-hmm. long as the Ravens have been around, pretty much uh, the Nationals, Nationals and Ravens have been around short enough that you've kind of stuck to the one city. I don't. Know, let's ask our guest, Michael Michael Crawford uh, from Russell Street Report. Glad to have you back. How you doing? You're not You're not a Nats fan, are you? I'm not. I'm not, uh, See, it's a, it's <laughs> a weird doing, combination. Josh.
5: I know. I know. How you doing, Josh? I'm how are you doing? Well. Ken? Uh, glad to be back guys. Uh, it's been a while. Um, I'm not a Nats fan. Uh, I'm not a, not a huge baseball guy. I try to get more into right. it. I realize I'm probably a little too, uh, singularly focused on football, but Hey, we got some good stuff to talk about, right? All right. Yeah. Sure yeah.
3: That's enough Natitude and that's talk. We can move on to this trade. And, so the Ravens traded uh, with the Rams this week for Marcus Peters they brought over and traded uh, Kenny Young and, what was it, a fifth-round pick?
4: That's the word. Is I All think right. it's undisclosed, but it may be undisclosed because they don't know exactly where that pick is going to be. So, and, in any case, it, we, we believe it to be Minnesota's fifth-round pick that was acquired in the Curry-Bendrick trade.
3: Alright, so let's get into, uh, let's just jump right into this and the the details and kind of break this down for us
4: well, let's start, yeah let's start with the trade itself so uh, you know the Ravens get a 10 game rental on Marcus Peters uh, you know obviously a, a, an exciting player to get for 10 games uh, one of the one of the big things about Peters is he and Ed Reed are really in a class by themselves as the two greatest interceptors of all time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, everybody knows about Ed Reed and and a lot of people who've heard me talk about it over the years know about adjusting it to the era. Ed Reed is by far the best, 40 percent better than Darren Sharper, who's number two in terms of interceptions per game played, uh, adjusted to averages from 1945 to 2018. But Marcus Peters is the only guy really with any significant number amount of playing time, games, interceptions, however you wanted to set the minimum who is ahead of Reed in terms of interceptions per game. He's got 24 and 67 games, but he's played in an area with much scarcer interceptions. His are 8.45 adjusted to 7.67 adjusted for Reed. I think 7.67 is correct. In any case, uh, he's the only player in in Reed's class, and Reed's level of stratosphere. Probably won't last, but I liken it to a 450 hitter in early June in terms of where he is in his career.
5: Yeah. I saw your tweet on that earlier and it just made me stop and think just like how impressive that really is. He's done it. He's been on two different teams, three, three now that
2: he's Mm
5: -hmm. um, been traded to the Ravens. He's still on his rookie contract. Uh, So he's in his fifth year and that pace, like you said, it's probably, you know, some regressions going to hit there at some point. Uh, But it's really, really impressive uh, that, that he's been able to make so many plays on the ball and, um, Ten game rental, like you said. I know we'll talk a little bit about maybe uh, what the prospects might be for him in the future, for maybe a long term deal. Uh, if not, how he factors into the compensatory pick, uh, sort of pitcher. Uh, but um, I'll save this for later. But I, I have some some thoughts on on you know just sort of how this might have come about and 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 why why make this move.
4: Okay, why the Ravens might make this move? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's great. Um, Yeah, I think long term, either a long term contract, which I I actually give a pretty small possibility, or a franchise tagging is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, franchise tag for a player like Peters might be the right price to pay for one year. You could do a tag and trade. You could you could extract additional value effectively for Peters uh, in, in the coming years by franchising him. Uh, for 2020 and anyway. so its way. So it's a it is there is some additional market friction going on there that could benefit the Ravens in, in some way.
5: I think- yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I've seen a lot of sort of uh, comments about that on Twitter today about, you know, well, how does this sort of work with. You know, Marlin looking like a guy who they want to give probably an extension to. Obviously, Ronnie Stanley. You know, two guys playing at a really, really high level right now. And so then you're you're factoring Peters into all of that. But I'm sort of like, you know, let's not put the cart before the horse. Um, <clears throat> obviously, he's been a, a really exciting player and has made a lot of plays. But like you said, we we kind of have this 10 game sample size. Let's let's wait and see. You know, let's let's sort of get him on the field and 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 let's see what we're dealing his dealing with here. I mean, we we I think we're all pretty comfortable in what they should do with Ronnie and Marlon. Um, Let's, let's, let's see what happens with, uh, with Peters.
4: Right. That's where I am as well. I think, you know, in talking about how Peters might not drop off the interception thing, which by the way, is just obviously a freak show statistic in some way, but uh, is near and dear to Baltimore hearts. The way that he might continue it is by a move to safety. And I know he hasn't really talked about that, but just looking at his play style, I think we're probably going to agree on this when we go through some of the specifics from the games we've watched. Marcus Peters likes to play looking at the quarterback and deep in that secondary. He is a natural safety, a natural ball Hawk. And it just makes a lot of sense for him to end up there perhaps sooner rather than later. The Ravens are very old, of course at safety. Maybe that would make sense in terms of a long-term move for them. Obviously, uh, uh you know, a lot of things to sort through there in terms of the present contracts, uh, that are out
5: there, yeah, for sure, and yeah, I know we'll get into that as we talk about some of the things that we saw on film, but couldn't agree with you more., uh, he loves to have vision on the QB <laughs> He absolutely loves it. Uh, most of the time it's a good thing every now and then it can be it can it can the outcome cannot be good uh, yes. and 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 that happens um, but I think another part that uh, we kind of talked about a little bit earlier before we started is. Sort of looking at this deal and comparing it to the Ramsey deal, because obviously Ramsey was kind of rumored there for a while to be connected to the Ravens and maybe a deal happening there. Uh, But the compensation much different uh, on the Ramsey deal.
4: Yes, that's uh, that's putting it mildly. Uh, (laughs) I was agape, frankly, at the at the offer that eventually got taken for Mika Fitzpatrick, which I thought. Maybe I can justify that by the Steelers. You know, even if even if it ends up being number twelve or number fourteen, maybe there's no way I could justify it if it's a seventh or eighth pick in the draft. Even with the great value for four years that they're getting uh, you know, out of him, I still can't justify. And I love Minka. I mean, I really I really thought he was something special. Ramsey, I'm not in the same position right now. Ramsey has not played well this year, and now he's had the back injury, I use mm-hmm. the air quotes, for these last three games, I think it is. So he played three and then he missed three, if I recall correctly. Maybe he played two, missed four. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. But when he's been in there, I think it's been 115 QB rating so far this year he's allowed. So that's not exciting, needless to say. Then the attitude adjustments that go with that are not exciting. And frankly, you know, you have Ramsey for a 26-game rental right now, so it's 10 plus 16— I, I'm, I'm not excited about the rental value and I'm, and you know, obviously the Rams made the trade without signing him to a long-term deal right? without signing him. So they're, <laughs> you know, they're saying there's no timetable on that right now. Absolutely crazy to give up that much draft capital. And I'm so happy the Ravens went with the other option.
5: And um, just, you know, to, to, to sort of share it, if, if people haven't heard, cause I, I, I know I didn't catch it right off when it was first reported. Was it two first round picks? Okay. Yeah. So <laughs>
4: two firsts and a fourth. Oh. So oh. so it's a I believe it's a first this year, a first next year, and a and a fourth in 2021, and the the Rams will have been five consecutive years without a
5: number one draft pick. Wow. <laughs>
4: well, wow. the Steelers I, are going to be without a number one draft pick for the first time since
5: 1967. Man, I, those just the juxtaposition there is is yeah. is crazy. And I saw a tweet. Uh, earlier, too, sort of looking at the uh, Rams' projected cap hits in 2020 uh, for like their top, you know, five. it's like Golf and Aaron Donald and a couple other guys. And I mean, it's 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 scary uh, what they're looking at next year. But I mean, look, I guess if you're looking at it from less speed, less needs perspective, um, you know, they had Golf on a rookie deal. Obviously, he just signed an extension recently. You're looking at that Super Bowl window. Obviously, they got there last year, came up short to the Patriots. Uh, Gurley is sort of showing the signs of maybe a little wear because they're sort of managing his snaps at this point. And so maybe you're saying, hey, we got one more swing at this thing. You know, maybe in 2019, maybe 2020, but probably 2019 is it.
4: Yeah, I don't don't see any way that 2020 is a year for them. I mean, obviously, you can do a lot with leveraging money into the future with the way the salary cap rules work. I still think it's very unlikely. And, you know, they're going to be without any new young playmakers. They will pay for this for a long time. And, you know, if you look at football outsiders, I believe they have the Rams as a 0.8% chance to make the, or to win the Super Bowl. And if they were to increase that with the Ramsey acquisition to, say, 2.8%, which I think is probably unrealistic, they're still basically the equivalent of going to the craps table and betting a 12 to come <laughs> up on the next roll. Okay, anything else, they lose. Okay, yeah. And and that is basically what they're doing with this trade, is they're, is they're saying that. Now... You know, there was there middle ground? I don't know. But but I, I think that uh, uh, Jacksonville really strong-armed the rest of the league on this. I can't believe they got the value they got out of it. If I were an AFC South fan, I'd be very upset about all this draft capital coming into the division for a player who, uh, you know, obviously has some, some issues and some questions surrounding him.
5: Yeah. Yeah. There's been some off the field stuff, obviously, recently and not even just recently. I mean, I guess, was it last year going back to the GQ article and all of the the sort of negative comments about the different quarterbacks around the league? And, you know, when you're coming off of that AFC championship game appearance, um, you know, you can, I guess, sort of stomach some of that stuff if you're the Mm -hmm. team. But when things go the way that they've gone since then, it gets a little harder. Uh, to deal with some of that stuff is as, as great as a player as he is. And I don't think anybody's disputing that like you say he's kind of had a kind of had a rough year this year, but as great as a player as he's been, um, you know, there's there's a break point for everything. And um, I, I don't know, I'm kind of like you like I, I, I think I'm probably a little more willing, uh, just in terms of playing like armchair GM to like deal draft picks for players, but even I, you know, this was too rich for my blood.
4: Very, I'm glad to hear that, Michael. I really am. Uh, <laughs> I know you probably didn't believe it because,
5: you know, I, I'm like, oh, there are all lottery picks, you know, who knows? But even this was like mm, not, I couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger on this one.
4: But let me just say it's been a very rough three weeks on Twitter and there's no point in trying to mm, talk the masses off the ledge. I'm going to say in terms of everybody, everybody is absolutely screaming at the top of the lungs. Do anything you need to to get Ramsey. I don't care if it's three number ones, two number ones, Hayden <laughs> Hurst, throw in him too, you know, whatever. I just it's, it's very difficult to be on Twitter during that. Twitter's a big time waster anyway. Yeah, I find myself maybe three times per day typing some response to somebody and then just hitting the X button saying, you know, I'm not going to get involved in this. If they have that opinion, that's fine. It's, it doesn't impact me oh. in any way. Just let it let it be.
5: So. It is what it is, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, we can have the debate. Really, it's more of an argument than a debate, but I'm going to defer to DaCosta and the front office. The analytics people, the coaching staff, got a feeling they might be a little bit better at this than me, so... <laughs> I'm gonna to defer to them. You can continue to argue it if you want. That's fine. Uh, it's free country. But uh, I'm I'm not I'm like you. I'm not I'm not gonna go down that road. But I think we we both can agree on going down the road on what we've seen on Marcus Peters. Sounds, Sounds great. Let's Pretty start entertaining.
4: Yeah. Now now we, we Michael and I had a at a production meeting beforehand, and we love to talk football. And Michael and I could could literally probably discuss this for two and a half or three hours, I think, in terms of what we've seen here. We have promised we're going to kind of limit our <laughs> our uh, commentary and not uh, make Josh very angry by keeping him up all night. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll uh, go through this. Let's do the, the, the layered methodology we talked about, Michael, and, and you can start if you'd like.
5: OK, now I've had my Fingers crossed behind my back. Bo- uh, behind my back, when I <laughs> made <that promise>. but, <laughs> but no, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly gonna try to stick to that. So, uh, we decided to kind of divide up some of the games on Peter's, and uh, obviously, we we primarily looked at the games from this season. Uh, but I'm kind of gonna start in reverse order here. I actually looked at a game from 2018. Uh, against the Seahawks. I also looked at a game from this year against the Seahawks, which I think was a Thursday night game uh, maybe a week or two ago. But anyway, in that 2018 game, without getting too specific about that particular game, because I think some of these themes will actually carry over through all of the games, including the ones that you, that you watch. I think what you saw the Seahawks try to take advantage of is that thing that you led with a little bit earlier is Marcus Peters propensity to want to have his eyes on the quarterback, Uh, there's a couple of double moves in that game. Uh, he gave up three touchdowns, by the way, or at least three touchdowns that were, were charged to him. Uh, one of those, one one of those was on a double move to Tyler Lockett. Um, actually no David Moore, it was a double move to David Moore. He had two holding defensive holding penalties in that game. Both of those were on Tyler Lockett. And one of those was on a double move. Now the ball wasn't completed, but, uh, again, you can see when you go back and look at the film that Peters is playing off coverage and he's looking into the backfield. Now, he's seeing the receiver in his peripheral vision, which I think he does really well, and I think that's part of the reason why he has so many interceptions, because he has his eyes on the QB, and he can see the ball coming out. Mm-hmm. But he also has a really good ability to keep that receiver in his peripheral vision. But this is the NFL. These guys are really good. They're really fast. And so things can happen very quickly, even if you're a top-level athlete like Peters. And so I think the thing that is probably one of the, biggest advantages in his game can at times uh, be taken advantage of. I don't think it happens often. I think he's a guy who learns from his mistakes and, and you're not going to see that happen to him a ton, but he's aggressive. And I think he plays with a lot of anticipation based on tape study. I don't think he's out there guessing. And sometimes you're going to fool those guys. It just happens.
4: Yeah. I, I, I see you know a few things that are natural and come directly from this conversation. Peters is much more to me of a natural safety than a cornerback. Uh, he he really likes to be play off the ball, and the Rams use him effectively most of the time in zone coverage. More than half the time that in of the games that I observed, and he plays a deep cover three and takes that entire offensive left left third of the field out. He plays exclusively right cornerback, by the way. Doesn't, he doesn't move around and follow receivers. He's a, since his role is more of a deep zone thing, it's more natural that he wouldn't follow a specific receiver uh, under those circumstances, and, and and that's what he does. He, there are times when you play man coverage and he comes down the line of scrimmage. It's more the times that are dictated by down and distance, so any kind of third and short, he really has to be closer to the line of scrimmage. If you're near the goal line, it's going to be man coverage. He's going to be closer to the line of scrimmage, but most of the time you know, give in other situations, he plays a deep cover three on that offensive left side uh, on that offensive left side. Some of that is him. I think some of it might be protecting Weddle as well. who doesn't have the range he once had in the middle of the field. Uh, And so it'll be interesting to see if the Ravens adopt some of what he's good at uh, to the way they play defense.
5: Yeah, that will be interesting. And it's, it's uh, the, the fact that you mentioned Weddle um and we can sort of roll um Earl Thomas into this too. So Earl does have a tendency to play a little deep sometimes when he's in that deep <laughs> middle third. But it's funny, I was actually having a conversation with somebody earlier about this and the way he phrased it is funny. He said, But but Earl actually thinks he's still fast, right? Whereas Weddle knows uh, he's uh, not uh, uh, anymore. Uh, 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 but Earl actually thinks he's still fast. He said and he is. He is. He actually still has decent speed. Uh, he's maybe lost a half step of of what he used to be, but he's still pretty fast. So to your point, I think that using uh, Peters in that way, uh, and I know we'll wrap this into some other parts of the discussion about how he benefits the other parts of the defense and and how the defense may benefit him. But I think one of the beneficiaries uh, among several is actually going to be Earl Thomas, because I think what you can do with Peters is allow him to continue to play in that style and and obviously now you've got Marlon on the other side, and we all know what Marlon's been doing this year in terms of shadowing receivers and that kind of thing. And so now Earl doesn't have to cover as much for other things that he's, as he's had to do so far this season, and he can get uh, back to a little bit more of sort of just kind of just sit in the middle field, sit in the middle of the field, sort of cover three role that he was so good at in Seattle, obviously he can do other things. I mean, we've seen him in this Bengals game down at the line of scrimmage blitzing and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I don't think that's going to go away. But I think when you have two cornerbacks who can cover the way that these guys can cover, it allows Earl to sort of get back into that role. And what they might be able to do in a you know in terms of coverage, I'm really excited about it because, look, Kennedy has played fairly well until this most recent Bengals game. I think Alden Tate sort of took advantage... Uh, of him on mm-hmm. on some plays, but I, you might have you you would have better perspective on this than me. You might have to go back to what 2011, 2012, or, or some other defense where they've had two cover corners of this caliber. Maybe yeah. before that.
4: Oh, Peters is a cover corner. You're saying?
5: Yeah, because uh, even though he's kind of even though to your point that you see him as more of an off coverage guy, yeah. and I think he is. I think that that's probably his strength. His man coverage, and this is where I think you have to make the distinction because people talk about press man. Uh, and they kind of lump that together as kind of like one kind of man coverage, but you could have Mm -hmm. press man and you can have soft press, right? So press the way that people traditionally think about it is the two hand jam or the one hand jam right off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't do a ton of that, but he does do a fair amount of soft press where he'll start a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and he wants to just mirror guys, right? Kind of shadow and mirror their movements and stay in front of them and keep that vision on the QB. And I think he's really good at that.
4: Right, I mean, he's he's very intimidating to the opposing QB. So he can be, you know, six yards, eight yards off, looking right at that QB, and the QBs treat him like you know, find twenty-two on every play. You know, when he was wearing number twenty-two for the Rams, it's it's a it's he's a he's a scary guy, and he's not getting targeted much the whole season. He's 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 been targeted less than three times a game. So it's been one of these things where. You know, they are frightened to death of throwing the ball in his general direction, even though he plays off, even though he plays effectively as one of three safeties in zone coverage when they play that defense. I mean, it's it's he scares the hell out of opposing defenses. So I agree with you. And and that that soft press is really what he does, because he almost never uses his hands, at least in the the times I've seen, even when he's close to the line of scrimmage. You know, there's a threat of putting his hands on it on on a receiver. But that also allows a counter move, too, that that, you know, he might not be. Particularly happy to to give up, but yeah, he's he's much happier. I don't know where the reports are coming from that he's unhappy playing zone as opposed to man. I would think based on his playing style, I can't imagine he'd be unhappy playing zone coverage. It seems like a natural fit for his for his skill set.
5: Yeah, no, I've, I've seen those too, and I agree. I, I don't know why he would be unhappy with how they've used him out in L.A. because. To your point, I don't know that he – because I always hesitate to say what a guy can't do because I don't Mm -hmm. don't honestly know. So I don't want to say he couldn't play more of a physical press man, but I don't know why you would want him to. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of his biggest assets is that ability to keep his eyes on the QB and his ball skills. I mean, he catches the ball really well. So I don't know why you would want to take that away from him. by asking him to play a lot of press man could it happen every now and then sure like you said to be more situational but no i want that guy you know kind of in that off range and you can see it in the style of defense that the ravens play at times where opposite of marlin they actually will tend to have a guy who plays a little bit deeper uh sort of if you if you break the field in the sort of field and boundary right to that field side that guy usually All right, let's take
3: a quick break here. Obviously, we lost Michael and the Skype call uh, disconnected. So, let's take a break here, and I'm going to get him right back on the line.
4: Okay, I'm sorry, we lost you there for a middle, for for a minute in there, but you you were uh, talking about why would you take away, why would you make him into a route disruptor when he's so good playing off. In terms of, I mean, situationally, I can see, I can agree, you know, very, very closely with that point is that, uh, you know, there's, there's every reason to keep him off whenever you can keep him off. The, 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 one of the problems that the Ravens have is that the Rams pass rush was so dominant that it really provided him with a lot of opportunities with Aaron Donald, you know, the, the number of quick pressures they present. One of the things that's going to be difficult for him playing in Baltimore here is he's going to have to maintain coverage for longer with this pass rush. And, you know, longer, getting him off the spot and and whatnot. I think there are other compensatory elements that will be better because I don't think the Rams underneath linebackers for coverage were particularly good. And uh, particularly with their injury situation being what it is right now on the inside. And the Ravens, you know, potentially in the quarter defense going forward on passing downs, have a lot of opportunity to help him underneath. And there could not be opportunities for Clark and Levine to play underneath of him and help make plays help make him more effective.
5: Yeah, they can they can certainly help him underneath more with those guys because, like you said, I don't think he had that same level of help uh, underneath in L.A. as he'll have coming here. And I think he actually can help the pass rush a little too uh, because if you look at what he does, to your point, when he's kind of sitting out there and he's 8 to 10 yards off – and a quarterback might be thinking, "Hey, I can take that throw. Well, you saw it in in your film study. They don't take those throws mm-hmm. uh because they know what he can do in terms of being able to break and drive on the ball and so if you just think about this Bengals game and you think about seeing uh Maurice Kennedy in some of those kind of similar situations, he's eight to ten yards off, and they're throwing that quick out to Auden tape or they're throwing a quick hitch." Uh, to Auden Tate or even some of those back shoulder balls and those balls were coming out actually pretty quick mm-hmm. from Dalton. He really wasn't holding the ball very long But now I think you got to think twice about that with Marcus Peters is out there just by reputation You know, this guy's a playmaker
4: Yeah I mean, it's just an additional factor is if the ball has to come out quick If, if it's even one of these balls that's in the shotgun and the quarterback doesn't have, even have the laces where he's expected to have it And the ball's out so quickly on a slant that he has to do it that way there's additional risk throwing that way because any sort of overthrow, tip ball, back shoulder, off the pads, anything, it's picked. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're going to figure it to be picked. So they they don't want to take that chance. And and after, you know, I don't know how long it took them to figure it out with Ed Reed, but they but they did figure it out that, hey, you don't want to do that. Marcus Peters comes with that kind of same pedigree right now in the NFL as, as being you know, kind of the guy. In fact, if you look at the interceptor leaders, it's funny because they're all these long in the two safeties and corners who have been in the league since like 2008, 2009. Peters has been in the league since 2015, has 26 picks, including the postseason. The highest in the NFL during that period is 35. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's just... <laughs> It's like just ridiculous said. how how yeah. much head and shoulders he is above everybody else who's who's playing currently. Yeah, so uh,
5: so good. It's yeah. so good. It's just you like you said earlier, I mean you you just know that it it it's probably not sustainable, but man, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I I tried to kind of focus on too when I was when I was watching these games was how often was he sort of isolated, you know, at corner? You know, people talk about the island corner. You know, how how much is he out there sort of by himself? And I think because of how he played, you can sort of do it that way. Now, if you're talking about, you know, if you compare it to Marlin or even, you know, we mentioned Jalen Ramsey earlier. If you're talking about these guys who are going to get up in a guy's face, get their hands on him and just one-on-one follow that guy all over the field, we've already kind of talked about it. I don't know that that's necessarily his strength. But if you want to leave him on that one side of the field and just play that off coverage or that soft press coverage, I think you can do that with him. But, you know, there's a little bit of a nuance in that. If you, well, he's 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 an island corner. Well, it depends on how you want to use it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if you use him to his strength, is that still considered island per se? Maybe not. It depends on, on how you want to define that. But can you have him on that one side of the field and say, hey, we're going to play you this way and we're just going to take away that side of the field? Which is essentially what he did, oftentimes out in L.A.
4: Right. There's, there's. I think it really does come down to what help do you want to give him or show the quarterback that you might give him. Uh, it, it, the the play that really struck me along these notes was the 67 yard touchdown he gave up to Evans in the Tampa Bay, Bay game. So if you go back. It's Q4 11:48. If you want a timestamp on it, Michael, you can look at it while we're just sitting here if you want. But he he was uh, badly beaten in man coverage, but the there were only three men in the pattern and the Rams rushed eight on the play. So that's when you get a true Island situation. You've got three covering three, the other eight are rushing the quarterback. You better get to them. You better provide him help. What did, what Marcus didn't do well on that play is it looked like without a fake, he anticipated an out route at about 10 to 15 yards from, from Evans took a step to the outside. And of course, when he stepped back, Evans was six yards by him or something. And, uh, uh, had an easy TD, easy pitch and catch TD uh, to the post. I, I, that's that was one bad thing that happened. It was one terrible gamble, but it looked like a safety's gamble that he was taking. It's it's, it's, it's like something Ed Reed would do, and and you know you just chalk it up to okay, we gambled and lost that time, but we know he's going to win. And in that very same game, uh, three minutes later. He had a 32-yard interception return for a TD on the right sideline. You know, his other two plays in the game where he was even targeted, one was a three-yard pass play where he stopped him for almost no yak, and the other was a, a pass defense where he reached right around the guy and knocked the ball loose. So ball skills, ball skills, ball skills all the way with Marcus Peters.
5: Yeah, and that's that's sort of the 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 upside, and, and I think that's really a good example of how the upside can outweigh uh, some of the potential downside in in that type of play style, are there going to be plays like that from time to time? Yeah, there are because he's anticipating certain things. He's expecting the ball to come out in a certain situation, and um, there. This is something that's hard to see as a fan because you don't have access to what's really being taught and what's really being coached. But there are rules on every defense, right? They all have rules for certain situations, how they want to play certain coverages. And as they're doing their um, sort of, you know, in the middle of the week preparation and film study, they're looking at offenses and they're saying, hey, well, when sort of in the same way, they're looking at like, okay, well, when they line up in this formation with this personnel group, they do this some percentage of the time. Right. They're looking for tendencies and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, offenses do the same thing with defenses. So. Marcus Peters, I think, at some of these situations is relying on his film study, relying on what he's seen, and the offenses are doing things to break their tendencies and break those defensive rules. So he's thinking, okay, I've seen this personnel group. I've seen this formation. uh, I'm watching the quarterbacks drop. This is supposed to be a slant. I've seen Mm -hmm. this a slant, you know, four out of six times or whatever the percentage is. But then when they don't do that, (laughs) <laughs> like in the Seattle game that I saw, and it's a double move, but you get fooled, right? So, yeah. so it happens, and so I think sometimes when that happens, people are just like, "Oh, well, how 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 could he get fooled by that?" Anybody could have seen that coming. Well, you have to think about the uh, sort of tendencies that they're playing, right? They're they're looking at the propensity uh, of things happening, and that's how you make that many plays, right? Is you yes. have to have some sort of an analysis in your mind that. I think that this is going to happen based on film study, and when I see it, when I see the indicators of it, I'm going to go and make a play. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're going to get beat. So you know, does it does it mean a guy's not good? No, it just it's, it's the NFL. It happens.
4: Yeah, I mean, if he'd have been right on the out route there, which is a gamble, but again, you know, quarterbacks don't like to hold the ball and throw deep against an eight man rush. And and in this particular case, Winston did it, and it was it was just an exceptionally good stand in the pocket play. But if he'd been right on this, it'd been a pick six the other way. If if because because he'd undercut that route and and he would have easily taken it to the house I think it, it's uh it's very interesting because I, the other thing I noticed in going through these games is that he he comes off his own man a lot to try and make a play and sometimes it's just unbelievable what he does but he'll he'll anticipate a throw to the deep post say when he's he's over by the left side uh, the left sideline from the offensive offenses perspective and shallower. And he'll just track that ball like he's a receiver down the field. And, and I watched one where he got very close, and then in the 32-yard interception return he had, he dropped off his own man and, and, and made a pick. It reminded me of Jimmy Smith's pick against the Packers two years ago, where yeah. it wasn't his man. But he just saw; he knew where the ball was going, so he cut over to the other the other guy's man, switched coverages. Not that anyone was switching back with him; it's just he, you know, he went to the other man. <laughs>
5: <laughs> kind of reminds you of Earl, right? The rest of the, the the team is thinking, "Where's Earl going?" And Earl's like, "I know where I'm going." Uh, yeah, there you go. And and I, I tweeted some clips out that kind of supports what you said there earlier from this year's Seattle game, where you do see him do that often. So whether he's playing like a cover two corner, where you know he's got a guy who's coming off, and he's going to initially release vertically, but then he's going to pass that guy off at a certain depth and then he's going to turn and look inside if he sees anything coming inside he's going to jump it or to your other point if he's playing outside and he gets a route and he kind of gets that fake to the out but then back to the post he'll overlap that route and I think that also sort of underlies the point that you made about him sort of having natural safety skills I mean he has such good route recognition and understanding of concepts and the ability to overlap routes which is something that you see from really good safeties uh so he he just has a lot of that sort of natural safety instinct and safety ability but he also happens to at least right now he's still young uh to have the physical ability to to play corner right
4: now let's let's talk a little bit about some other elements of the game here uh w- one thing we've already talked about beforehand was his w- desire to make contact or take down a receivers but b running backs maybe more significantly i haven't seen yeah. a lot of that
5: Yeah. And and I think that reputation is out there. We talked about some things earlier that we've heard that we kind of really didn't see on tape, but I think you do see that on tape that, you know, he's probably selective about the kind of contact that he wants to engage in, which, Hey, look, you know, Deion Sanders says it all the time, you know, you get paid to to cover and I get paid to tackle. And it reminds me of, um, quote I heard from Alex Gibbs, right? Alex Gibbs kind of the father of the zone running game. You think about those old Broncos teams with uh Terrell Davis and when he would go around and give clinics and and teach the zone, he would say, "Look, we block safeties. We don't block corners. We make corners tackle." Mm-hmm. And there is bad, he'd, he'd be talking to like a group of college coaches. And he said, there's bad tacklers in, in our league as they are in your <laughs> league. <laughs> so, so, you know, that that obviously is not always true because look at Marlon. You know, Marlon is probably one of the more aggressive corners in terms of run support and tackling uh, that you see in the league. But Peters is a little bit different. Uh, and so, you know, I think people are going to have to kind of level set their expectation with that. Don't compare him to Marlon and expect him to play the run and, and to you know, to tackle the way that Marlon does.
4: Yeah, well, that's, it's on the Ravens. There's a fairly significant juxtaposition between Carr and Humphrey. And one of the questions was, well, could Carr even move in to play slot corner given his uh, selective physicality? I'll call it. I mean, he has been an incredibly durable corner. It has obviously paid off for him. And the teams he's been on, I wish Marlon Humphrey were more selective about contact. I wish he was less of a madman, frankly, in terms of of what he does. But uh, you know, that'll it, it, be hard to change until that first injury comes along, I'm afraid. But anyway, with uh, w- with Carr, you know, it, he's really that sort of corner right now. If we could just get the you know the minimal level of in the secondary physicality to make tackles on receivers when they're in space, particularly in zone coverage when they're somewhere in his. You know, anywhere along the he's anywhere along the edge of the box or triangle, then I'm comfortable with that. I don't need him to 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 be the guy who who tries to undercut the 250 pound running back.
5: Yeah, absolutely. We don't we don't need him out there taking on pulling all offensive linemen or, <laughs> you know, or trying to blow guys up across the middle. Just get the guy on the ground. Right. Just just he, if you're not able to make the play on the ball or you can't strip the ball out and he makes the catch and you're in the vicinity, like you said, just get the guy on the ground. That's I mean, that's that's the primary goal. Right. Of defense. You you can talk about takeaways and, and the other things. And they're important. But the first thing you got to do is tackle the ball. you got to yeah. get guys down on the ground. And so I'm OK with that. However, you do it.
4: All right. All right. I, I, any any other commentary from the games that you think we haven't already kind of hit on that's specific to a game, some other specific tendency you saw?
5: I can't really think of anything. I think we probably kind of touched on it all. Um, one thing that I think you've mentioned, but I'll, I'll, I'll just piggyback on it again too. Again, you got to be careful with comparisons because I don't know that anybody right now in terms of cornerback punches the ball out after a catch the way that Marlon does, but mm-hmm. I've seen Peters make a couple of those plays too, right? Particularly along the sideline. And that that's kind of a universal thing that's, that's taught on defenses that if, if guys are near the sideline, you know, you look to punch that ball out. Um, but I've seen him do that a couple of times. There was a, a play in the Seattle game um, this year against DK mm-hmm. Metcalf. And this is a really tough Coverage assignment for any quarterback where you're lined up, sort of outside leverage on a receiver, and he's running a crossing route away from you. Really tough cover, right? Because he's already got you beat by pre snap leverage, and these guys are fast and they're running away from you. But he was able to get his hands on Metcalf pretty early, right? Just to stay in phase, and then that ability to Have your eyes on the receiver to sort of stay in phase and and feel where he is, but then keep your eyes on the QB at the same time so you can see the ball come out. And then if you watch the slow motion replay of that, you'll see a little veteran jersey tug in there to kind of stay with him. And then right as the ball comes in, this is the part that was really kind of savvy to me because he's trailing DK. He's not Mm -hmm. in an undercut position. He strips the ball out with his offhand, with his left hand. Instead of his right hand, where if he tries to reach across and make that play with his right hand, it might be an illegal contact penalty. So just a really savvy. I think where I'm going with that whole story is I think people have this perception of him because of what they've seen in the media and sort of some of the abrasiveness and sort of some of the gruffness is, well, he's just this athlete that's out there just flying around, taking chances. Obviously, he's athletic. Wouldn't be in the Mm -hmm. NFL if he wasn't. But I think he's a really smart player. I think he's smarter than people might realize.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty clear, too. I mean, he obviously has a tremendous nose for the football, and it's not just the interceptions, but a lot of forced fumbles and fumble recoveries. One of the things that's been very interesting about his ball skills, I'll just point this out, is he had a ton of passes defense when he first came into the league. They were tr- they were testing him more in Kansas City. We had 46 passes defense his first two years, 14 of them interceptions. Since then, he's only had 21 Past his defense in three years they're not throwing at him nearly as much but he has still had 10 of those be interceptions so it is he's, he's converting more of his opportunities now than he did in the past even at kansas city when he had you know ungodly interception totals his first couple of years so uh you know terrific ball skills six uh five forced fumbles and six fumble recoveries you know already in this short career that's like a pass rusher would have an edge rusher you know, in terms of uh, of that. And Edge rusher would be lucky to have that many fumble recoveries. He'd probably have that many fumble f- forced fumbles if he's a good one. But, uh, boy, uh, I think I looked at Charles Suggs in his something like 37 and 14 career. But Suggs has played a hell of a lot more games than Marcus Peters has. Uh, you yeah, have to get to that point.
5: I don't know if we realize, because we're on the East Coast and we haven't seen him probably a ton with Kansas City or or maybe a little bit more with the Rams because Rams have been kind of a national team the last couple of years in terms of TV appearances. But I don't know if people realize just how much of a playmaker he is. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you touched on some of those numbers and obviously the intercession rate and, and just how gaudy that he is. I don't think people realize how big of a playmaker this guy has been. In you know his his first five years or four years here in the league, I mean it's really it's really impressive when you dig into the numbers. You're like, wow, how come I haven't heard of this guy? Right. <laughs> Almost,
4: you know, you're like, this is this is crazy. Right. Well, he's he's playing at the nadir of all time interceptions. The, the interception rates have never been lower than they are right now, and uh, you know people don't completely get that. I don't think they think, well, there'll never be another Ed Reed, and they're right. There'll never be another Ed Reed. But the the the, the people in today's game are are intercepting the ball, you know, Peters anyway, is intercepting the ball at a level that competes with Ed Reed. And he's the only one in NFL history, in NFL history, that can make that claim. There is no other guy who's got five years of playing time who's anywhere near Ed Reed's total. So it's just, uh, he, he really is a special guy. And, and uh, I hope that this works out. I hope the Ravens, the combination of probably not having as dominant a pass rush, but having some more underneath coverage help can help him still be the kind of playmaker that he's been, uh, you know, in, in his first two jaunts with Kansas City and L.A.
5: So can we call this the dead interception areas? Uh, dead yes. interception era, kind of like the dead ball. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's another thing that's interesting about uh, this this whole thing? And I mean, obviously, we've we've touched on uh, some of his ability as a player is. You know, think about the cornerback room now, right? Jenny Smith, Jimmy Smith, I, I heard he, he practiced at least to some extent mm-hmm. today. Um, If he comes back, and I'm not saying he comes back in the Seattle game, but if he comes back healthy, you've got Marlon, you've got Carr, you've got Jimmy, you've got Peters. Uh, I know Kennedy is sort of working through an injury there too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. almost like last year, right, in a way where they had so many healthy starting caliber corners. Uh, it's really a luxury uh, yeah. to, to have that.
4: It is. You mentioned Kennedy earlier. I want to hit on him real briefly. That guy was was arguably the Ravens' best cornerback with some of the mistakes that Marlon had made, despite he'd been great, for the three-game stretch prior to the game last week. Now, he got beat pretty bad, but he was also hurt. I'm convinced of it, and you know he, he had to really play because the Ravens didn't have a good alternative. Uh, he, he is an awfully valuable player still, and I think if— he, This provides him an opportunity to rest and get back at the right time when he's healthy, and I think he can still be good. But the question I think you're asking really is, how do they line up with four good cornerbacks? And in 2018, they figured exactly how to do it. They rotated them, and I think that that's a good opportunity this year. I don't think Carr is headed for the bench. I think he'll play more slot corner than anything else. I think there's kind of a natural four-man rotation that gets formed there. Uh, You know, It was Tavon and Carr and, and Young and Humphrey last year. Uh, Humphrey will get the most snaps this year. Last year, he won the team MVP award with what 64 or 65% of the snaps he played. Uh, but, but I don't see any reason why Jimmy Smith has to be tossed into a 75% uh, of snaps situation right off the bat. I think he'll play more like 50 to, to yeah.
5: start off. I think you're right. I think that rotation still exists, but just the players and that player's numbers flip. So (laughs) Marlon now becomes the guy who gets the bulk of the snaps and Jimmy maybe goes a little bit more into that rotational role. And I think that's an excellent point that you made about Kennedy, because I think he was kind of the whipping boy in the preseason, even going back to, I don't like to mention this game, but... (laughs) Cincinnati game a couple of years ago uh the week seventeen game uh where Cincinnati uh was able to take the the Ravens out of the playoffs this is very very morbid tone in my voice when I even think yes. about it um but yeah he's he's sort of been you know the the target of of a lot of negativity, but you're right, I mean he really was kind of keeping the ship afloat uh in, in a lot of ways at that that cornerback position uh over those last couple of games, and good point too about him being injured because he's played at a level. Ah uh, prior to this Bengals game, where you had to think something else was going on for you know things to kind of go the way that they did because Alden Tate is not Randy Moss. Uh, right. <laughs> he seems to be a talented young player, not taking anything away from Alden Tate. but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, that drop off happened without some extenuating circumstances,
4: right. I, I mean, I do, I do give some of it to Tate in terms of the hand grabs he made, but he also caught five out of 12 balls. So, you know, when you look at the thing, it's it It's a lot of hand grabs. It's a lot of, of uh, you know, the ball being delivered in a place where the receiver could make a play. But I, honestly, I, I blame most of it on Kennedy being a step slow because of the, the hamstring or the, the thigh injury, whatever it is, that uh, that did that. I, the one thing, other thing I've heard this week is the, the – possibility brought up of carr moving to safety. I I personally do not believe that's in the cards. I think they love Clark and he has given the entire defense flexibility in terms of not only where he plays, but also the ability to get rid of get get take both inside linebackers off the field when they want to play dime, play quarter. They played eight snaps a quarter last week, match their full their season total for all of 2018. So you know, I, think, I think they love that flexibility, so I don't think Clark is is giving up the dot, which means Carr is not moving to safety because he sure as hell isn't replacing Thomas. No. He won't be a dime because he's not replacing Levine. He could be a, a back-end guy if Clark moves up in the quarter package, but that's so few snaps, that's not any kind of a plan to use Carr. I think rotation is the way we end up.
5: Yeah, and you may see a little bit like you saw last year where he plays some, where Carr plays some safety safety snaps, but it's sort of like as that cover two deep half uh, safety, and it's kind of a rotation thing yes. where they start out in one look and they kind of roll to a different look. Um, you mean
4: rotating the coverage there as opposed to rotating the the players who are exactly, in the game?
5: Yes, exactly. And I think you you know you might see a little bit of that because they did that last year, and 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 obviously he can do that. Um, but another good point you made about Clark too, and I mean this is no slight to Tony Jefferson at all. But he's he just just from film, and you've heard the other players, other players say it in interviews, so it's supportive, but just from film, he's the smartest player on the defense. I mean, you can see. You can just see that the way that he communicates and gets guys lined up, not just in the secondary, even when he's up at the box and he's signaling the linebackers or he's tapping defensive linemen on the rear and like, hey, get over a gap. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy just knows the defense, knows where everybody is supposed to be, knows the adjustments and the checks. That should be made to give them the best advantage, you know, to give them the best, uh, you know, opportunity to be successful in individual play. And I don't know that. Uh, we appreciate it enough yet. And you can say, well, that's only one game. But you can go back to last year and you can look at those games that he filled in for Tony last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you could see similar things. I mean, I think this guy, especially that KC game last year, if it's not for those few plays where Mahomes gets outside the, p- the pocket and just makes magic happen, their secondary really played well, I think, yeah. for, for the most part of that game. So, um, you know, a lot of credit to Chuck Clark, uh, the positional flexibility that he gives them and just the communication, the intelligence, um, that he, he provides on that defense. If something, I don't even want to say it, I'm not going to say it. I'm, I'm very thankful <laughs> that yeah. Chuck Clark is there right now. I'm not even going to jinx it. All right. I think, I,
4: I literally think the chances is, is basically zero without an injury that he would you he would give up the green dot for the rest of the year. I think they, there's too much positive from this game. He'd have to totally regress in terms of his play, totally break down on the back end. Something would have to happen for them not to be able to be able to live with with what he is. But he does it, just the fact that he's calling the plays gives him so much flexibility, and it is it, it maximizes what they get from Bynes and Ford. And you know, you, you and I we we talked extensively about the failure of the inside linebackers to make any sort of a play behind them. Okay, and. Bynes made one the other day, tipped the ball right to Humphrey. He could have had an interception himself, but how long has it been since we've seen that? <laughs> I claim since fourth down against the Browns last year yeah. when CJ did it.
5: Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You could see it, and it was immediate mm-hmm. the way the middle of that field looked compared to what we've seen in the early part of this year. And I kind of hinted at this earlier, but. And I'm not going to take credit for it, so I'm going to give the guy credit. Denard Melton, great follow on Twitter, uh, Denard13, that's Denard with two N's, uh, former football player, current football coach, I believe. Uh, and he said, look, if you look at the way they started this regular season, and he said, you would only do this in the regular season, right? Because in the playoffs, you're trying to survive. You would never do this. Mm-hmm. But he said it was almost like they were trying to get a look at those guys in regular season situations. And when I say those guys, I'm talking about Kenny Young. And obviously they, they, they've seen Peanut, but a look at Peanut in the Mike sure. linebacker spot, right? And not an audition, but just, just let's see what these guys look like, right? And obviously the returns were not good. And then I think if you combine that with the way the rest of the division started, I think that's why you see some of these moves. Some of it out of necessity, because you've got guys who... Kind of shown that they really weren't ready for the roles that you thought, you know, they could move into. But then, if you look at the Peters deal, I'm thinking a lot of people said, "Hey, maybe 2020 is the year that DaCosta's is really looking at to make a run with this team." And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe he really wasn't looking at this year as as like a run year. But I think when you look at how the rest of the division started, he's probably thinking, "Well, we got a shot here. <laughs> you know, we got a shot to at least win the division." And then who knows what happens after that? So could I stand Pat with guys like Kenny Young and Peanut and give them more time to grow as the season progresses and let's see if they get better? Sure, I could do that. But we could also be behind the eight ball when we really have a chance to take a stranglehold on this division. Yeah, and it's these
4: weeks right now which are the key. The Browns really need to lose their next game where the Ravens are in a little bit of trouble. And, and you know, the same thing goes for the Steelers. The Steelers are still in a tough, tough stretch for a little bit. Uh, I don't remember when they start their with Miami and the rest of their easy part of their schedule, but it's coming. And uh, and the Steelers, uh, you know, the Ravens need to make sure that they maintain this this position because the Ravens have some of the tough part of their schedule still coming up. They have a, a, a an average schedule the rest of the way, which is which is a lot tougher than what they've had so far.
5: No question. All
4: right. Uh, anything else, Josh? Anything else? You want to talk about, or, or any questions that maybe we didn't cover?
3: I mean, real quick, basic question is, um, will he be ready for Sunday? Do you think we're going to see Peters on the field in Seattle?
4: I, I do, partly out of necessity, because the, the Ravens are very short at cornerback. If it's not him, it'll probably be Anthony Averitt. And I assume that they're going to give uh, Kennedy a week to
3: rest and, and get healthy. Is there any advantage to the fact that he's already faced the Seahawks this year
4: as an AFC West or NFC West kind of kind of, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously he knows those receivers. He's probably done some film study. So that would be an advantage. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to be, how does he fit into the Ravens defense? What do you think, Michael?
5: Yeah, I agree. I think he's definitely probably going to play some snaps. Like you said, probably mostly out of necessity this week, but, um, you know it's always hard to to measure that sort of advantage thing, especially in a situation like this. But I don't see how it could hurt, considering that he has prepared for that team and actually played against that team recently, uh, and so he's got a little bit of a head start, probably, on the rest of the team in 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 terms of film study, uh, uh, in terms of what they do, what Seattle does. But obviously, he's you know starting from ground zero with uh, the Ravens' defense. And and sort of having to learn that and what they do, even though, again, we mentioned Chuck Clark. I heard the report today that Chuck Clark is going to be spending extra time one on one time uh, <laughs> with Marcus Peters to try to get really to speed. That's yeah, great news. Yeah. yeah. That's what I heard today. So I t- I'm telling you, you can see it on the film. And I know people say, well, how can you, you can't measure that kind of thing. No, you can't. But you can just look at the way this guy operates and you can tell this guy really knows this defense. Yeah.
4: Well, very happy. I mean, the Ravens now I added Bennett Jackson. If they want to go back to the quarter, they can do it with that. They could probably, they, they can also move some people around and do it other ways, but that's the most obvious way they, they maintain this quarter defense if they want to keep it.
3: Now, I, I do feel bad for Peters try, having to travel West Coast to East Coast and then two days later back to the West Coast. He's going to be spending a good amount of time on, on planes. He's got plenty of time to read that playbook. There you go. So, um, I right, I think that covers it for this. Um, Michael, what do you have up on Russell Street Report? I know
5: you've been busy over there. Yeah, I'm just I'm just a cog in the wheel. Uh, I'm a, I'm a part of a team of guys this year. Um, Cole Jackson, uh, Yoshi fifty two. He likes to sort of keep his 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 actual identity a little private. So I'll just give his Twitter handle at Yoshi uh, fifty two. And then a uh, big at big play receiver, another guy who kind of likes to protect it a little bit out there. So what we uh, have been doing this year is sort of some game charting. So we've been charting the Ravens run game, we've been charting the Ravens pass game. Uh, two articles come out um, a week, one on the run game, one on the pass game. Uh, a little combination of sort of analytics and film, because you're going to see some numbers in there in terms of uh, personnel, snap counts, uh, formation, play concepts tendencies that kind of thing and then you know I, I try to add film clips to kind of support some of the stuff that the other guys do so um, it's a fun project uh i'm behind the scenes i'm not actually writing the article which i love uh <laughs> but but uh it's a good group of guys and uh, i'm having a lot of fun with it so you can look for that to come out twice a week on russell street report
4: okay just just one point here yoshi 2052 it's king moose that's who we're talking about
5: there you go correct yeah. me because you see now i'm not even giving him the proper credit
4: no, and he, he's, he's a great follow. Lots of, lots of great information. And if you ever have a question that requires some info, information to be drawn from per football reference, I found him to be the most reliable guy in terms of knowing how to go and get at it very quickly.
3: All right. And Michael, spell your Twitter handle for everyone. Abukari.
5: forgot mine. How can I leave that out? Uh, at a B U K A R I, Abukari Abukary on Twitter. Uh, lots of, uh, clips and gifts of, of film out there and uh, just like to interact you know, with the community and uh, always interested in, in some uh, debate. I don't really care to argue, but always interested in some debate on things. So uh, you can find me there, too, all the time.
3: All right. And, Ken, FilmStudyBaltimore.com.
4: FilmStudyBaltimore.com. So we have uh, three. This will be the third podcast of the week. that will obviously be out there. People know that. The, there's an offense and a defense article. The defense article this week, all about – New packages for the Ravens, incredible stuff. Frankly, the the race car package being played 15 times, really something new. Uh, so lots to talk about there. Uh, we're starting a new thing that I want to talk about. the first first one I'm going to do. Uh, well, we have a couple lined up right now, but one of the ones I want to do is with Garnett, uh, who's in Okinawa, uh, and and he had some questions today. I said he'd be the perfect guy to have it first, and and we'll uh, we'll do these film study shorts, 10 to 15 minute discussion. Uh, hopefully it won't turn into an hour every time like any discussion with Michael does. This was fantastic, by the way, Michael.
3: Absolutely <laughs> great.
4: But, you, you know, we I'd be happy sitting here another three hours, but I can see Josh is already getting bored there, so we don't want to do that stuff.
3: <laughs> no, I'm good. I just have to edit this, though,
5: after the after we disconnect. <laughs>
4: That's right.
5: He's still got to close. We get to just walk out of the store. Josh's got to close.
4: There you go. There you go. Right. Anyway, uh, I hope you'll visit filmstudybaltimore.com and, and uh, follow me, filmstudyraven at filmstudyravens on Twitter.
5: All right,
3: sounds good, guys. We'll have a great uh, weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy, nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.
0: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go. Everyday giftable. Everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21.